0: Okay, so this year, the annual theme is Learning the Way of Jesus. And right now, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Redeeming Regular Life. And this series is from the household codes of found in the epistles or the letters of the New Testament in the Bible. And uh, these letters were written from the apostles of Jesus to various churches around the Roman Empire, and usually in the first century, I think all in the first century AD. So in their day, household codes, talking about the relationships, basic Human relationships of husband to wife, parent to child, um, the people you work with, people in society this this was a common source of wisdom and writing and opinions i 'm sure, uh, but the apostles of Jesus wrote from a uniquely Christian perspective uh, showing how the gospel and the way of Jesus changes everything and so far in this series we 've covered redeeming marriage and sexuality and singleness, and today we 're moving probably uh, intuitively, on to a very important topic, the very important topic of parenting. So for my wife, Holly, and I, uh, parenting has been a source of greatest joy in our lives, but also, I attest, over the years, of confusion, anxiety, and stress. Everywhere in the Bible, children are described as a blessing, maybe a chaotic blessing, maybe exhausting to receive, but a blessing nonetheless. Now as far as I can tell, no matter what you believe about God or faith or the Bible, pretty much everybody kind of sees children as a blessing, albeit chaotic and exhausting. But how does the way of Jesus impact or transform how we think about parenting, how we think about our children, and the work of parenting? What would a uniquely Christian perspective be on the relationship between the parent and child? Well, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I'd encourage you to take it and open it to Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 1. We'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well. It's a pretty brief passage this morning. And so, um, yeah, nevertheless, uh, there's much to say. So, Ephesians 6, starting with verse 1. Let's read. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is God's word. Well, as we said a few weeks ago in our marriage sermon, the book of Ephesians is an epistle or letter from the Apostle Paul to the Christians in and around the city of Ephesus in the modern country of Turkey. And this, in this section of the letter, he addresses these basic household relationships. Immediately before, if you scan up in your Bibles to the end of chapter 5, you'll see that's the text we had a few weeks back, on the relationship between the husband and wife well let's start again with verse one and let's work through this text and make sure we understand what it's saying children obey your parents in the lord for this is right now i want to pause here now interestingly it seems as if paul was expecting kids to be in the church in the body in the congregation in worship when his letter was read because he addresses them directly here kids Do you want to know what it looks like for you to follow the way of Jesus? One of the ways is you should obey your parents. Now, this isn't new. Almost every culture, to my knowledge, forever has come to this conclusion. Kids should obey their parents. At least all the parents have come to that conclusion Uh, because kids are the responsibility of their parents. Kids need to grow up and mature in every way, and their parents hopefully presumably are a little further on in that maturity process and so kids should listen to them and they should obey their parents now learning obedience should help in the primary task of childhood of growing up now however there are always some parents who get the command backwards thinking that it reads instead parents obey your children obey their desires obey their demands let them run the show this never works It doesn't work for the parents and it doesn't work for the children as they grow up because eventually these children will grow up and no one wants to be friends with or get married to or work with someone who was raised to be spoiled or entitled thinking the whole world revolves around them. It doesn't and they tend to find that out the hard way. Now parents, uh, Paul gets it right in saying that children should obey their parents But then he gives us a uniquely Christian perspective. And you might have missed it, because it's really quick. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He says this uh, because of the governing principle that he gave for all Christian relationships back in Ephesians 5, verse 21, which says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we saw this Uh, play out in the relationship between the husband and wife in marriage. That was one application of this principle. And now here we find another example in the home. Children are to submit themselves to their parents out of reverence for Christ, in the Lord. This is what's right for a follower of Jesus. Now, of course, sadly, if a parent is abusive, the child should not submit themselves to that. Child abuse is a great evil done against some of the most vulnerable people in our society, and the Lord's wrath is against people who do such things. The intervention of other adults is a necessity of justice. But most of the time, learning obedience is right. As Paul says, this will set you on a path for success in life. He continues in verse two, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it will go, that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, after the new year, which uh, may seem like a long way off for some of you, but is not, we'll have a whole series on the 10 commandments of, of learning a law of love. And so I won't cover everything there is to say on this topic today. We'll get to that in a few months. But here, Paul quotes from the fifth commandment of the 10. And this command seems to say that there's like a blessing, long life, success that's found when you honor your parents. The command in the Old Testament referred to the land of Canaan that the Lord had promised to give to the people of Israel, the promised land. But here, Paul widens it beyond the ancient people of Israel to all people, Jew and Gentile, in Christ, saying, on the earth. Now, I was thinking this week, is this kind of like the prosperity gospel? Is this like where our obedience or our good works brings the blessings of God? I think the answer is no. And here's why. The the promise or the blessing of obeying the fifth commandment doesn't replace the grace of God. In the gospel, we see that ultimately, God's favor and his blessing, his love, his acceptance of us as his people is given freely as a gift. That's what grace is in the person and work of Jesus. Now, if we could earn our way into God's favor by honoring our parents, for example, then Christ died for nothing. The gospel would be the fifth commandment. But that is not the gospel. The answer is found in understanding that God has made this world to work in certain ways. And when we violate the natural laws of his world, things don't go well for us. For example, as a human being, you were not made to breathe underwater. Other creatures were created in this way. God could have made us this way if he had wanted to, but you were not. And unless you strap a scuba tank to your back, and if you try and live outside of the bounds of how God created you, you will surely die, to use the language of Genesis. So obeying this God-given law of nature that human beings need air comes with a natural blessing, that is, life. In the same way, there's a natural law of society. When children obey their parents, in general, life in the family, life in the home will be marked by more joy, more peace, and less by arguing, anger, selfishness, hatred, division, all of those things. Obeying your parents helps you learn from a young age on that we have to put the needs of others ahead of our own. We have to not see ourselves as isolated, but as a needed part of an interconnected whole, and it forms relationships built on trust and long-term commitment to one another. A family like that is far more stable, more productive, and more successful through the ups and downs of life because their relationships are stronger together. And a family like that will work better with other families in their neighborhood and city, and the whole society works better. But if at the family level there's disobedience, disregard, everyone for themselves, then you have a situation like that of the book of Judges in the Old Testament, where it says, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now, if you read the book of Judges, it was an utter disaster. It was chaos and destruction. And of course, we see this sad outcome in many families and communities today. So to honor your father and mother is a way of life in line with the way God made this world to work. And to recognize this and live accordingly is wisdom. Now, this won't guarantee success, just as following the other wisdom proverbs of the Bible doesn't guarantee success, but in general, this is how life works, and we should live accordingly. Okay, that's a lot to think about for kids. How about the parents? Well, look back at verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, I didn't hear any amens to that line. I, you kids could have said that. Amen. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now here, the word for fathers used can be translated in, in some places as fathers and mothers. So I don't think that Paul is only focusing on the dads. But back in verse 1, he uses a different word that is always translated parents including mom and dad. So why does he use a different word that typically means fathers here? Well, here I think he uses this change of language for two reasons. And the first is in Ephesus, in the first century AD, steeped in Greek and Roman culture, it would have typically been responsible, uh, the dad would have typically been responsible for the children's, uh, typically son's education, for training and instruction, as Paul says. So addressing the dads here speaks to their cultural expectations of their day. But also, I think Paul directs this toward the fathers because as dads, we can sometimes use our physical power, our strength, our authority to get our way in a way that is not Christ-like at all. So he offers a correction or maybe an instruction for us as fathers. But again, we have a uniquely Christian perspective on both of those things, both in the guidance not to exasperate your kids or provoke them in anger, you might see in a different translation. And in saying that the task of education, of bringing kids up in the training and instruction is not just of life, but of the Lord. So first, being careful not to exasperate your kids. Let's think about both of these aspects of this verse. Not to exasperate your children is is one of the parents' applications of Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So kids do this by obeying their parents and honoring their parents, not just when they're young, but seeking to do so all the way through life. Parents do this by being careful how they treat their kids and the purpose that they see for themselves in raising those kids. Kids need correction, and all the more often when they're young. And this goes back to our need, all of our need, for wisdom. But this correction, this discipline, must not be done out of a desire for revenge. Your kids have gotten on your nerves long enough and you're going to make them pay. That's not discipline. Discipline is not to crush their spirit or leave them hopelessly to wallow in guilt and shame. Neither of these these things are helpful for them. Repentance and forgiveness ought to be offered and modeled for us as parents to our children. Kids need to grow up and mature in every way, physically, emotionally, academically, and so on. But most importantly, they need to be discipled. They need to be taught about Jesus and hear the gospel and shown in regular life what it looks like to follow him. They need your prayers. They need your words of instruction and correction and encouragement. They, they need to see your heart for the Lord, to love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not apathy. And they need to see our love for our neighbor. They need to hear you apologize when you sin against them and see you ask for forgiveness and all of the rest of it. So dads, do you know that it's at least 50% your responsibility for training and instructing your kids in the Lord? You can't be passive about this. You cannot assume that mom will take it. You can't assume that they'll pick up these things of first importance simply by osmosis. You've got to be intentional. You have to take responsibility for yourself, which is why the apostle addresses fathers directly. You have to think and speak and act with the Lord and your kids in mind. But do you also know that how you do this matters? Not by provoking your kids, Paul says, not by making fun of them or putting them down or or pushing them to anger or bitterness or resentment. Not by using your power and your authority as the dad, as a weapon to get your way, but as a tool to serve your children out of love for them. Mothers are often far better and more natural at being nurturing and caring. So all the more, fathers, we must pour our lives out for our kids so that they will grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. This is the way of Jesus. Well, what do we do? with all of this how do we apply this teaching to our lives today well there are so many things that we could talk about in terms of parenting that through the difficult terrain of our lives there are different skills needed at different points in time it's very different when your kids are young versus when they're teenagers versus when they're grown and out of the nest but i'd like to close with three takeaways for all of us whether we have kids or not First and very simply, number one, the way of Jesus changes parenting. We say it all the time. The gospel, the way of Jesus changes everything. That definitely includes how we see and raise our kids. And this was true, as true for the Ephesians in the first century AD as it is for us today. In ancient Greco-Roman culture, children didn't have many rights, but were valued for their help with the family business, whether it was a trade or whether it was a farm. They were valued as heirs for the family's wealth and property. And then finally, they were valued as security for you to have someone to take care of you when you were old. I'm sure kids had toys and played games. We see some archaeological evidence of that. Just like kids everywhere all the time, but the parents saw their responsibility for raising their children more in light of the needs of the broader society rather than individual benefit. They were raising strong sons to be warriors. They were raising educated citizens. They were raising capable wives and mothers who could run a politically connected household. Now in our modern culture today, of course, this is, we're very different. Things work differently. Today, many secular people value children not for their help with the family business. In fact, I think many modern people view kids as a hindrance to their careers. And we tend not to value them as heirs to keep the wealth and property in our family, or even as necessarily security for the end of our life. But instead, today, many people see children as objects of love and personal meaning and identity, Being a mom or dad isn't simply something we do or one aspect of our lives, but for many people, it has become who we are. Kids, of course, still have toys and play games, but parents see their responsibility for raising their children not so much in light of what type of citizens we want in society, but much more often in light of personal happiness for the parent and for the child as they grow up. We're less communally minded today in our culture, in modern Western culture, and way more individualistic. We're less virtue minded, caring about what is right and wrong, and the type of society we want to create through our parenting, but we are more happiness minded, feeling free to disregard the needs of others for the sake of personal, individual happiness or fulfillment. But the way of Jesus subverts and transforms both the ancient Greek, Roman, Ephesian culture and our modern secular views as well. Christians believe that kids have inherent value, not because the father has decided that they have value or not because of their potential to serve the needs for society and not because of their potential to achieve happiness in their own lives, but because they too are image bearers of God, regardless of of their relationships and regardless of their capacity or capability or potential for the future. From conception on, these little boys and little girls are ours to love and to protect. They are entrusted to us by a God who also knows them and loves them. And this really does change everything. So first, the way of Jesus changes parenting. But second, how does any of this apply if you don't have kids? It's a good question. Last week, we saw that to remain single and celibate is a gift for some in the church. But also, even some who are married might struggle with infertility. And this, I know, can be so painful and so frustrating. Now, obviously, not everyone will have or be able to have biological children of their own. So does this mean that only some of us will be responsible for this work? And I think the answer is, in the Bible, a resounding no, absolutely not. Number two, helping people grow up is the work of the church. There's something very beautiful about being a foster parent or adoptive parent, whether or not you can have biological children of your own. In fact, adoption is at the heart of the gospel, That God the Father would adopt us as his sons and daughters in his own family through our faith in Jesus, the true son of God. But beyond that, every single one of us has been given the responsibility to help one another grow and mature as followers of Jesus. This is the mission of discipleship. The Apostle Paul was a single guy, we've said without biological kids of his own, but Paul had a number of young men that he invested in and considered to be his spiritual children. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look at that verse now, 15, 16, and 17. Paul is writing, and he says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Doesn't that sound like the work of parenting? For this reason, Paul says, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful to the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Now, Timothy wasn't his biological son. He was his adopted son in the Lord. He was a younger man who would become a pastor that the mighty apostle Paul poured his life and his wisdom and his love into. This is the work of discipleship, and this is the work that must happen that we all are called to participate in in the church. This is the real work of spiritual parenting. We must both look to men and women who are more mature than we are to look to them, to learn from them, to become like them. As Paul says, imitate me. But we also must look back and see who is behind us in this journey of faith and help them, encourage them, teach them, correct them, go get them when they start wandering astray and help them make progress. This is what our church And every aspect of our ministry is really about. Helping people grow up is the work of the church. Now, third and finally this morning, I'm sure that there are some of you, whenever we talk about parenting or kids, some negative emotions start coming into your heart. I'm sure that there are some of you who are feeling pretty down right now. Now, maybe you were raised in a dysfunctional or an abusive home. Maybe you never had a godly mom or dad or really anyone who modeled these things for you and you feel like you're kind of lost when it comes to how do you raise kids? Maybe some of you, your kids are grown and they're out of the nest, but they're struggling and you're wondering to what degree am I responsible for their struggles in life? Well, to you, I'd like to say this. Number three, God's grace is sufficient for moms and dads. The gospel is not that God will bless you if you raise perfect children. That's just not how life works in this broken world. You will struggle at times and your kids will struggle at times. And it can be so very painful and difficult. And maybe night after night, you cry out to the Lord in prayer. But God's grace is available for you. In fact, earlier in the book of Ephesians, Paul said that in the ages to come, the incomparable riches of God's grace will be seen in the kindness that he expressed to us in Christ. When Paul was at his lowest, the Lord Jesus told him that his grace would be sufficient for him. It would be enough because his power is made perfect in our weakness. Friends, if we weren't weak, if we didn't struggle at times, we wouldn't need the grace of God. But again, friends, we bear much responsibility for our words and deeds as parents. Because the way of Jesus changes our parenting. And even if we don't have kids of our own, we all in this church still bear responsibility for this work because helping people grow up is the work of the church. It's what we're doing. But we do not do this on our own and we do not struggle on our own. And we who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, in life, in salvation, we have received and will continue to receive the wonderful riches of God's love, the power of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of God, and so much more that will help us in this high calling. And the grace of God is enough. So today, may we see this as our task. May we see this as our high calling, wherever we're at in life. But may we never try to do this work or take one step outside of the grace of God found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, again, we come to you and we ask, Lord, for your help and your power to be able to live lives like this. Father, I pray for the parents among us that you would strengthen us, that you would give us faith, that you would give us patience, that you would give us grace for our kids. Lord, we are desperate in need for your wisdom and discernment of how to do this work that you have trusted to us. Help us, Lord. Father, I pray for those of us who don't have children that we would see our calling as well to join in this work of making disciples of all nations here and now through our influence, through our investment, through what we share of our lives with other people here in the church, out in our community. God, help us to do this effectively. Help us to do this joyfully. Help us to see that this is a way that we are participating in the mission of God in the world today. And finally, Lord, for those of us who are struggling, I pray that your grace would be poured out into our hearts, just as you have poured out your Holy Spirit and your love and your wisdom and so much more through our relationship with Jesus. Strengthen us, Lord. Encourage us. Help us to see that we are not alone in this difficult and sometimes very painful calling. God, I pray for your protection over the marriages and families of our church and this community. Would you bless us? Would you help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.